Good morning, EBF. Uh, it's good to see you. Good to be with you. Y'all look really good this morning. Um, y'all are my favorite people in the world to preach to, and I mean that. I love you. I love standing up here and looking out and seeing so many people that I know and love that God has allowed me to get to know the past few years, and there's no place I'd rather be preaching this morning. So anyway, don't let that go to your head, Matt Wright, but y'all are my favorite, okay? So uh, if you would, pray with me. Father, we give you thanks for this morning. We thank you for uh, the ministry here at Evanston Bible Fellowship and how you have used it to further your kingdom around the world. And Lord, now as we um, pause to hear from you, I pray that it would be a time of just that, of your church hearing your voice and being built up and edified. So Lord, give us ears to hear all that you have to say in Christ's name. Amen. Um, as some of you might know, uh, my lovely and beautiful wife, who read scripture this morning, and who read it way better than I'm going to read it, um, she is a kindergarten teacher. And when you are married to a kindergarten teacher, your home slowly becomes filled more and more with children's books, even if you don't have kids. Um, and as I was preparing the sermon, one of them actually caught my attention. It's by Mo Willems. He's a big deal, if you don't know him. Uh, waiting is not easy, right? Uh, the illustrations look pretty good. Just by the title, you can tell the message is pretty clear. And uh, I'm sorry if this book is on your Christmas wish list, because I'm totally about to ruin the plot line for you. So sorry, Joe Ueda. I know this one was on your list. I'm totally about to ruin it. Mo Willems, in Waiting is Not Easy, tells the story of an elephant and a piggy, who are best friends, naturally. And the story, oh, let me fix this picks up with little piggy coming to his friend the elephant and he says hey elephant i have a surprise for you and the elephant oh he is flattered right he's like my friend he thought of me he got something for me like wonder what it is like okay little piggy i'm ready give it to me and piggy goes oh it's not ready yet you're gonna have to wait for it well, thus begins the crucial plot point of the book, as you can imagine. The elephant learns throughout the book that waiting is not easy. Over and over again, he's going to say, Piggy, is it ready now? Now, how about now? Oh my goodness, waiting. Waiting is not easy. Waiting is hard. Piggy, is it ready now? How about now? And over and over again, Piggy's going, no, not yet. You just need to wait. Well, the subtle brilliance of this book is that as you continue reading the book, the pages get a darker and darker gray until by the end of the book, the pages are black because it's nighttime out. And the big surprise that Piggy had for his friend, the elephant, was the star-filled nighttime sky. And little Piggy goes, wasn't that worth it? And the elephant, he's in love with it. He's never seen so many stars. He is honored and flattered that his friend would have such a wonderful surprise to show him. And while I love the message and story of this book, I love even more that it actually has on the front this little like medallion, like this little uh, book of honor thing. It's like the Pulitzer Prize for children's books. Because it's like all the parents read this and be like, man, my kids need to hear about this. This is true. You know, here, Teddy Wilson, here you go. Go and sin no more, right? You know, it's like, no, we're not there yet. Read this book. You know, waiting isn't easy. Get used to it, right? And in, as silly and as fun as an example as that is, right, just patience, waiting, is hard. 
And if you don't believe me, just go out on Ridge Avenue and find the person going 10 under and you will just feel yourself filled with righteous indignation, you know? And listen, I live in Evanston. I know over 20 on Ridge is treated like high-level terrorism. But still, anything going 10 under, you are just going to be filled with impatience. And even on a bigger level for us, kind of a more macro level, I know in this room right now, many of us are in a season of waiting on God. That you have been praying for a long time for the Lord to heal, for the Lord to provide, for the Lord to lead. You have been in a season of praying and waiting for the same thing for a long time. And you would echo Mo Willems and say, waiting is not easy. As a church, haven't we been in a season of waiting for close to 17 months for a lead pastor? Waiting is not easy. Whether it's you individually or just in our church life together, waiting is hard. My big idea, my take-home truth for you this morning, is that patience in life's trials is our priority and our privilege. And I know how that probably sounds, coming from the 24-year-old who doesn't have a lot of life experience, and, and people are all over the map this room. They've been in trials, maybe some of you, longer than I've been alive, and to have me come up here and say, be patient, sounds insensitive and maybe cold. But brothers and sisters, I am not the one who said it first. And so I think the question running through our minds now is, okay, preacher, you're telling me to be patient. Why on earth should I be compelled to be patient? Well, I'm so glad you asked that. I love it when you ask questions that anticipate the rest of my sermon. That's so good of you. Patience in life's trials is our priority and our privilege. So if you have your Bible... Meet me in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We are going to pick it up reading in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. All right, I know we've been going through Philippians, and so going through James, you might be like, what's up, preacher? We're going to finish Philippians later, but right now the Lord has a word for us in James. So I need to tell you about James first. James, chapter 5, we're picking it up. Pastor James, James is a pastor somewhere. He is landing the plane on his sermon. He is ending his epistle. And he opened up talking about trials of various kinds that his people are going through. His book is filled with practical wisdom after practical advice. And now as he's landing the plane, he's saying, you... My church, as you are in trials of various kinds, be patient. And he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Which I think is a significant timeline for us. Because he doesn't say, be patient until your trial ends. He says, be patient until the coming 
of the Lord. And then he's going to illustrate this, right? As all good pastors do, he's going to illustrate his point. He's going to say, all right, look, look out. You see the farmer? You see the farmer there. Farmers, they are planting, they're watering, they're harvesting, they're doing all they can. And, and I love the example of the farmer because I think farmers, more than most people, understand that the world doesn't run on their timeline, right? That farmers can plant, they can water, and then there comes a point where the farmer has done everything he can and he needs to wait. And I love, look back in your Bibles, look how James talks about the farmer. Read it again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Catch this. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. So not only is the farmer waiting, but he's patient in the waiting. Does that make sense? So he's not out there, you know, planting his crops, and then all of a sudden, you know, one, le- one week later, he's not going out and just kicking his crops just in disgust that they haven't grown quicker and he can harvest them yet, Right? That'd be absurd. So I think the flip side of that example, catch me, is that there is a kind of waiting that is not patient. You with me on that? In other words, it is possible for you to be in a season of waiting on God and kicking crops. So I love, Pastor James, the question that he is asking so far is not, are you waiting? He knows everyone's got their stuff. Everyone has their thing they are waiting on God for. But he's asking, how are you waiting? How are you waiting? And I think what we're waiting for as believers becomes clear in the next verse. So read with me in verse 8. You also, I think he has a point here, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. All right, so in case you didn't read your bulletin, or you have not been tracking with the sermon so far, or you haven't read James up until this point, his point is to be patient. Be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, this word at hand, it's one word in the original language, and it is a word when it's in the tense form that it is in, it functions like a verbal exclamation mark. It is the exact same word and form that Jesus uses when he announces that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. It's the same word in the same form. It's a word that is supposed to shock you and shake you, And I think that's good for us to know because we have a hard time being shook by this word as they did in the first century. Jesus' return is at hand. It's near. It's coming. And I think that's harder for us in 2019 because when we read verses like this, that, you know, Jesus' return is near, we always kind of put a little asterisk by it in our head, you know, like Jesus' return is near. Like, okay, I got it. Yeah, but it's been 2,000 years. But man, you read some of Paul's letters, I think that guy was fully convinced that Jesus was coming back in his lifetime, right? He's like, any moment this thing could end, the trump shall resound, you know, Jesus is descending, you know, like this thing could happen at any moment, so like, let's press on. And as I read this verse, I actually thought about one of the worship songs that we wrote here at EBF, and by we, I mean someone, not me, who was gifted and talented enough to write worship songs, and it was a song that uh, we sang during our Revelation series, And forgive me, I don't remember the majority of the song, but there was one line in there based on Jesus' saying in Revelation 22 that he's coming soon. 
And the line said, in 2,000 years hasn't touched the word soon. That's good. I don't know who wrote it. I don't know if you're in here. You were probably inspired by the Holy Spirit when you wrote that. That is tweetable. You should use that more, okay? So I don't know who that was that wrote it. But that is good. 2,000 years hasn't touched the word soon. And I know it's harder for us to feel, I think in large part because we're so disenchanted by our world, that we forget we live in a day where the Holy Spirit actually indwells us, that we worship a resurrected and glorified Christ who at any moment can come back and judge the living and the dead. We distract ourselves in a thousand ways and we become numb so Jesus' return doesn't hit us like it should. You with me? And James's point here is he's saying, be patient because the Lord's return is at hand. In other words, patience is a priority because Jesus' return is near. Jesus' return has a way of orienting you to God's timeline instead of yours. Patience is a priority because Jesus' return is near. But before James moves on from this point, remember, he's a pastor. And he has a warning to give his people about this. All right? So put on your big boy and big girl pants for verse 9, and don't say I didn't warn you. Verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. All right, so James, right? He's a pastor. He's saying, okay, these people, they're going through trials of various kinds. These people are going through trials individually in their life and corporately as a people. And he's saying, as you wait, as you're patient on God, don't grumble. He knows the temptation that if his people are in a season of kicking crops, that grumbling and cynicism is just going to rise up in them. And y'all, if there is one sin that the people of God have struggled with since the time of Moses, it's grumbling. You with me? Like, listen, I don't want to spook y'all. I just read in Numbers 14 about how God said, Moses, Aaron... You've been with these people for a while, and they're grumbling against you, so I'm just going to kill all of them, and their children will get the promised land. Right? We forget that's why they didn't get to go into the promised land. They kept grumbling against their leaders. Do with that what you will, all right? I'm just, that's the Bible, okay? I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying that is the Bible. You just want to do biblical theology of grumbling. I just gave it to you, so there you go, okay? Grumbling. James is saying, I know I know you are in trials of various kinds, but you need to be patient. And as you are patiently waiting on God, don't grumble. Because isn't it tiring? Isn't it tiring for you to always be suspicious of other people's motives? I know it's hard to wait. But aren't you tired of assuming the worst around everyone around you? Golly, doesn't that drain you? That you always got to be suspicious and the judge of everyone. And y'all, I think this is a word for us because if I'm honest, I think our culture at large has confused cynicism with wisdom. That it's viewed as wise to always have something critical to say, to always be kind of suspicious and skeptical, like we think that's the wisdom of the world. 
And James is saying to his people, as you are waiting on God, as you are waiting on him, don't grumble against one another because hear me, your grumbling would be a poison to your brother and your sister in the Lord. Grumbling is a poison to avoid in a season of waiting. And James is saying to us, hey, patience is a priority. Jesus' return is near. And as you're waiting, as you're pressing into him, don't grumble. Don't grumble against one another. The Lord is coming. He's at hand. Patience is a priority for you. In my intro, I mentioned that patience was a priority and a privilege. So we're going to consider now the privilege part. So if you've got your Bible, continue on reading in verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Oh, wait, sorry, verse 10. Forgive me, forgive me. Verse 10, read verse 10 with me. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. All right, James. Pastor James, he's going to illustrate for us now. He's saying, if you want to know what I'm talking about, if you want to know the kind of strength and endurance and patience I'm talking about, take the prophets. And now prophets is kind of a broader term. Uh, It's not necessarily the narrow, you know, just Obadiah and Ezekiel. And, you know, it's like those guys are prophets too. But also people like Moses are prophets. Uh, Actually, in, in the Hebrew Bible, the section of the Bible from Genesis to Kings is called the former prophets. That anyone who spoke in the name of the Lord to God's people was a prophet. So prophets is a broader term than just your favorite quiet time book is Obadiah, okay? And so he's saying, if you want to know the kind of patience, the kind of endurance that I'm talking about, take the prophets. And so, man, like at this point, just pick one. Joseph, Rachel, you were talking about Joseph? Let's talk about Joseph. Joseph, he has these dreams when he's this teenager about how his brothers are going to bow down to him, how he's going to rule over this land, how God has a great plan for his life. And then what happens? He gets sold into slavery accused of a crime he didn't commit, and thrown in prison for years. Like, you, you imagine what's going on in that guy's mind as he's sitting in prison and he thinks back to those days of dreams and visions he had? Or You want to talk about someone else? All right, you want to, let's talk about Moses. Let's talk about Moses. Moses, he's born in Pharaoh's household, right? He grows up in Pharaoh's household, learns about the deliverance God has in store for his people, and then he kills a dude, and he flees for 40 years, catch this, as a shepherd working for his father-in-law. Whew. He knows God had promised his people deliverance, and before he parts the Red Sea, before manna comes from heaven, before his face shines, 40 years, day in, day out as a shepherd in the wilderness. David? You want to talk about David? David, he's anointed in front of all of his brothers as a teenager. And then he spends years running from a demonically possessed Saul trying to kill him. And the point James is making is this. He's saying, just because God has promised you something good, just because God is leading you to a good place, and he surely does, does not mean it comes right away. God is saying, I am at work in your life. I'm doing something. I have good in store for you. I am leading you somewhere, but I got to do some work on you first. 
I am calling you into something, but I need to form you into the kind of person you need to be for what I have for you. I heard one preacher say it like this. If you were to walk around God's kitchen, you would find no microwaves, only crockpots. Historically, God's way of preparing and dealing with his people is over long periods of monotonous waiting. EBF, I know, God is saying to you, EBF, I know you're ready for a pastor. I know you're ready. I know you're eager for this next season, but I need to form you into the kind of church that I'm wanting you to be. EBF, I know you're ready for a pastor, but I need to teach you more about what it looks like to love one another. I know you're eager to go where you want to go, but God has work to do on you and on us first. And you can either patiently wait for it or you can be kicking crops. Let's keep reading our last verse in verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So he's saying, okay, now he's going to give us his own specific example. He's saying, Job, you've heard of Job. And in my mind, I'm reading this, I'm going, Job? Really? Like Job, I don't know if you know this. In the later part in Job, Job actually tries to rebuke God And I think he gets like a verse or two where he's rebuking God. And then God spends four chapters rebuking him. All right, just to show you just kind of the comparison of that, right? Like I'm thinking, Job, really? But think about it. Like from a big picture of Job's perspective, he has everything. He has the family, the land, the cattle. God takes all of it from him. God, except his wife who tells him to curse God and die, which, you know, whatever. And... All of a sudden, he, he walks with God in that, and then his friends, right, they begin to have kind of this negative influence on him, and then he gives into it, he starts rebuking God, and then God rebukes him, and he, but he molds him in it to the point where after God's rebuke, Job is humbled, Job is formed, and God restores Job, and he's saying, EBF, you have heard, you, if you have heard the story of Job, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. You have seen big picture how God always had Job's good intention in mind. He always was leading him into something good, but he had to work on him first. And then he said, read the last part of the verse with me. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And I love these two words here, compassionate and merciful. This word for compassionate, actually in the original language, it is the only time in the entire New Testament that that word occurs. And you want to know why that is? It's because it's a made-up word, all right? James threw two words together and called it compassionate, all right? Another reason you know he's a pastor, because he starts making up words by the end of his sermon, right? When things are really ramping up, he just starts making up words. It's two words thrown together and actually means something like, you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is abundantly compassionate. He's like, man, I have read the story of Job. I've seen God's purpose in that. And and just the word for compassion doesn't capture all that God is. I need to make up this other word to talk about it. God is abundantly compassionate. 
And this word for merciful, it occurs only two other times in the New Testament and actually has connotations of being tenderly merciful. So he's saying God's compassionate and merciful, but those words aren't enough. God God is abundantly compassionate. God is tenderly merciful to you. And this is why patience, catch me, this is why patience is a privilege. Because God's compassion and mercy are well proven. Seasons of waiting on God, seasons of growing in patience have a way of impressing God's character on you. Your long periods of waiting and of patience teach you more about who God is. They form you in a way like nothing else can. God is teaching you more about himself. He wants to show you just how compassionate he is toward you, how tenderly merciful he is toward you. Patience is a privilege because the Lord's compassion and mercy are well proven. Patience in life's trials is a priority and a privilege. It's a priority because Jesus' return is near. And it's a privilege because the Lord's compassion and mercy are well proven. Man, and this is where that quote by A.W. Tozer that I, I think I've quoted to you before and I know Matt has, where he says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. In your season, EBF, of waiting on God, what comes into your mind when you think about him? Do you know just how crazy and love he is with you? And just thinking on an individual level, like if I just took God at his word, if I just believed everything he said about me, if I just believed everything he said about himself, how crazy and love he is for me, nothing would propel me more to be patient than that. Nothing would be more freeing than that. And I want that, and I want that for us. EBF, be patient. Our God sees us. EBF, be patient. Our God loves us. EBF, be patient. Our God has good in store for us. As one preacher has said, the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are kind. That you're not just compassionate, but you're abundantly compassionate toward us. We thank you for your sovereignty and your goodness to us. Spirit, I pray right now, supernaturally, you would help us believe all the more everything Scripture says about you and about us. That we'd be faithful to love one another and walk with one another well. So Jesus, would you be glorified? Would you be honored? in the remainder of our time together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.